Hello everyone, welcome back to the Early Education Show. We're up to episode 39, it's really great to be back with you. I'm Liam McNicholas and I'm an early childhood teacher working in operations and I'm joined, as I am every single week, by Lisa, an advocate and consultant. How are you going, Lisa? I'm good, how are you? I'm very well. And Leanne Gibbs, a leadership and policy expert. How are you going, Leanne? I'm good, Liam. How are you? I'm wonderful. As, are you as good as you were 30 seconds ago when Lisa asked you? <laughs> I'm. I'm. If anything, <laughs> I'm better because we're back. We're back doing another rant on early childhood, which is all my week lead up to getting together and talking early childhood. So I'm. All, I'm I get better, progressively better as the episode goes along. Um, Excellent. Hey, I haven't told you to. I was at a, a conference, an early childhood conference at the weekend, albeit just for a little bit of time. It was the Social Justice in Early Education Conference. And someone came up and said, you know, oh, who are you? And I said, I'm Lisa Bryant. She said, oh, I listen to you every week. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of a bit, a bit funny. It's a bit you know? weird, like, isn't not it? That it was nice to meet someone that was listening to us, but it... it because she wasn't traumatised or anything. Did you give her a shout-out, Lisa? No, she probably had dissonance between how I looked and how I sound. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no, it was, it was just... I remember reading somewhere that podcasts are a bit unique because you travel around with people wherever they happen to listen to you. Yeah, That's like true. people may be listening true. to this podcast in their yeah. car or in a car when they go for a walk, the when they're cleaning the house. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> But um, well, this probably we could probably have this as part of our very irregular series of I don't know what conference check-ins because we had obviously both of you at the uh, Reggio Emilia Exchange Conference a couple of weeks back. So um, I guess you want to shout out to um, we know a whole bunch of people who both run and organise and attend the Social Justice and Early Childhood Conference, a really important fixture, I think, of the early childhood conference uh, landscape. But, um, Lisa, this is your opportunity as well to um, promote some fantastic work you've done with uh, Dr Red Ruby Scarlett, who I know appeared on the show quite a long time, a long while ago at one of our ECA uh, conference bonus episodes. But, um, yeah, this is uh, Spruik away, Lisa. Tell us what you've... Uh, what you've um, oh, put out there. Thank you for the opportunity to do this. <laughs> um, look, Red and I have written a book called Fair's Fair, How to Tackle Bias in, edu in Education and Care Services. And it's really, I don't know if um, listeners are familiar with, I hope they are, with the anti-bias approach in early childhood that Red um, uh, edited the third edition of that book and re released it, I think it was last at the end of last year. And Fair's Fair's kind of like the picture book companion to it. It's written in very simple language and it's aimed at people um, who perhaps, you know, are interested or need to be interested in eradicating bias in education and care services but may not be the sort to read 400 um, pages of academic English. So if that's you, then I suggest you get a copy of it. It's very pretty and it's very bright, like both of its authors. <laughs> and you can get a copy by going to www.multiverse.com.au. We'll include that uh, link in the show notes as well. But obviously it comes with our highest recommendation. If we, I don't think yeah, we have a version of like the Oprah Book Club, but if we did, 
this would be the first. Uh... Oh, this is it. Let's put that. <laughs> this is the first that. one. Let's have a book club. I was, I was, think, I was thinking yeah. we should do that. Actually, that's a fantastic idea. The other fantastic idea I've had, which if we were in any way organised or had any sense of professionalism about this show, is we'd have we should have like a competition or something where someone can, one of our listeners can get a copy of the book. But we haven't organised that or great, thought about it or planned idea. it. So. It's... Well, it might take us a few weeks to plan. How Maybe. To do that. <laughs> if that's something we there could do. There is actually a competition already going um, uh, in this book. There's, I'm not going to explain this in detail, but some people listening will understand it. There is a line in the book called the Miranda line. And if anyone finds the line that they think Miranda, specific Miranda, is most likely to object to and <laughs> lets us know, then they get a free copy of the book. Wow, that is obtuse. We might need to have an easier competition than that. Oh. What do you reckon, <laughs> I can barely do um, checkers, let alone uh, cryptic crossbows. So I'm, 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 I'm taking myself out of the running for that. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to talk about that offline. About I'd, I'd love the idea that, A, we're going to need to have a book club. That's a fantastic idea. And potentially a, a competition. So we might... Um, we might. I like how I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm just giving away copies of your book, Lisa. Without we, we haven't even discussed it. So we'll, Feel free. <laughs> we'll I, think, to... I think Lisa. Lisa and Red might be assuming that you're going to purchase that. Oh no, a... no, no. That's fine. That's fine. We can donate a copy to the Early Education Show. Oh, oh that's called a, a desk a desktop copy for you. All right. Yes. Well, maybe I I will uh, I will take that on myself to maybe so next episode, which is episode forty. Everyone, God, I can't believe we've been kicking around for that long, and maybe we can acknowledge the episode forty with that. I'll I'll make sure we have a competition up and running by then. Thanks to Lisa's lovely unexpected <laughs> donation, given she's been put on the spot in a live recording. <laughs> so definitely go and check that out. We will have the link uh, both to Fair's Fair and the uh, the third edition of the anti-bias approach um, in the show notes today. But we'll kick on Are with... Are we going to tell people about the live show that we're going to do in a few months or is that going to be a secret for a little bit longer? I think oh, we... no, I think we should. I think we've preempted this about 5,000 times. I think we? we've said it's happening. We've just got to obviously uh, get our heads around actually organising it, but that absolutely will be happening and that would be yes, a fantastic... The search is underway. The search the is video, underway and so, a, a fantastic... Yes, and... Idea yep. to um, if you haven't liked us on Facebook or, or followed us on Twitter, that would be a very good reason to do so because we'll obviously be letting people know as soon as we can. Um, I think we so we'll we'll do the uh, we the, move on to the news list which we do each week. So um, I think we're going to go first to you, Lisa. I know there was a big story that sort of hit this week. We just had a few early childhood things fall out of it. So um, why don't you take us through that? Look, it has, and I, I must confess I'm less prepared than I usually am because I read all of this at about 5 o'clock this morning and I've forgotten a lot of it since then. <laughs> but the um, uh, the report, the Household Income and Labor Dynamics in Australia report, um, called the Hilda Report, which happens every, um, is it every year? I think it's every year. Yeah. So. Um, has been produced. And this year it shows some very interesting things about childcare. Because it's a survey, it's a little bit different to the information that we actually get from the Department of Education about childcare usage, which is derived from the, um, like from uh, the actual payment of childcare benefits, etc. So that I think is a bit more accurate. But um, it, it 
so you have to look at things like usage of childcare with a bit of a, yeah, slightly biased because it's a survey because it's got in it that couples have their children in care for 23 hours a week on average, whereas we, I think we know the figures are closer to 27 um, hours a week. And uh, children with single parents are in childcare for more for about 31 hours a week, and that's increased over the last um, nine years. More children are in childcare for longer. The cost of childcare has spiked since 2002. It's up 75% for couples and 104% for singles. And in one of the things that most shocked me was that in 2002, those in the top third of incomes in Australia spent more of their money on childcare than the bottom third, and that's now reversed. So that now we have um, poorer households spending 8.5% of their income on childcare while the rich spend 7%. So the poor now spend more on childcare than the rich. So that's because the rich have had increased incomes or yeah. and so that, that percentage has gone up? Yeah, yeah. and so because, you know, um, childcare usage has remained around, the, you know, the same for both groups, but it's become more expensive for those on lower incomes as a percentage of their income overall. So will um, the reforms actually help <laughs> that? Um, strangely enough, Leanne, no, they won't. Oh, As okay. we know, the benefits of the reforms to most households is that it'll be about $30 a week. Um, uh, cheaper for childcare and as John Cherry from Good Start pointed out on Twitter today, this will, that $30 will get people back to about, you know, what childcare cost in 2008, um, but it won't get them back to what it was in 2002. And people are still saying that childcare is way too expensive, you know. So for some families, the package will in fact increase childcare because they'll be thrown out because of the um, uh, activity test. And so for those people, it won't help at all. Um, but the other thing that came up is that um, uh, uh, problems in access um, uh, or uh, um, three-quarters of people complained about substantial difficulties with childcare due to quality, availability or cost. And not surprisingly, that was mostly in the larger cities but also in like um, in some um, urban centres in South Australia, we're also really struggling with those things. Um, uh, so yeah, look, I I you know I do think it's worthwhile reading the um, you know as much of it of the various articles we're linking to this week about it. Um, and having a look, one of the things that was really quite shocking to me is that um, the survey asked people attitudinal questions. And one of the attitudinal questions, and you can complain about how the question is phrased, but it was, as long as the care is good, 
It is fine for children under three years of age to be placed in childcare all day for five days a week. And um, the proportion of people agreeing with that statement, for women it was 33%, for men it was 27%. So in other words, about two-thirds or, you know, between two-thirds and three-quarters of people don't think it's okay for a child under three to be in childcare five days a week. Now, I don't think that that necessarily shows us a lot because I think probably even those in the sector would say, yeah, it's not great for children to be in childcare for five, to be in education and care for five days a week. But it does, you know, it does show that there's still some of that belief that education and care isn't good for people. Mm. What what I don't understand about this survey is that they do it with the same 17,000 people every year. So doesn't that group change? Like, don't they get older? I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's something we need to ask because, because they, they, they ask, questions in the past about you know whether people were intending to have children and uh, quite a lot of the people who said no they weren't going to have now got them and so you know obviously the the age group's changing so who are they surveying now are they surveying the exactly the same group or is it a different or is it as they get older i that's something i don't understand about the hilda survey i, I don't think it's the same group is it it's not a longitudinal kind of study isn't it a panel of 17,000 oh, people that the of same people. yeah okay. yeah the same makeup but so they have the um, same demographic and all that sort of stuff in there okay. yeah I could right. be wrong I could that be makes wrong sense now I'm googling very fast <laughs> here but <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm sorry that makes much more sense now so yeah. it's 17,000 people who might be in the same yeah, look, we're talking about waves 9 to 18 and normally when they talk about waves it is different people yeah. Okay. I think, well, the, I think yeah. I think I think as as Lisa was saying, the big picture because a lot of news stories have fallen out of this, and this happens every year. I think the big picture for early childhood is that sort of acknowledgement that all those same pressures we've been talking about for years and years, which is of you know affordability, access, aren't improving, and the government's big policy move in this area is not going to help with those. That's probably the big takeaway no. for me. Mm. Yeah. Yep. yep. Fascinating stuff. Thanks, Lisa. Yes. Yeah, um, now, Leanne, you've got some. Uh, speaking of some real concerns, we've also got a sort of uh, some some words from the education minister on the NAPLAN results. Ah, oh, well, it's NAPLAN result time, which always inspires um, a sort of level of hysteria <laughs> across Australia that is uncalled for. But um, the they haven't released the individual. Uh, you know the individual results to the to the families and the children so that trauma is coming next week I think but this has been released in terms of the of the Australian results and it's showing that um, there's been a very very tiny little increase of 0.72 percent in uh, the reading results improvement and 0.81 for the numeracy results but the writing 
performance has dropped by half a percent. So we're not doing particularly well according to NAPLAN in writing. But I think my point that I wanted to make about this particular article, which is where the minister says writing results are a real concern. Well, first of all, it's testing the wrong stuff anyway. So um, that's that's the, the point, one of the points that I wanted to make about it. But the second point is at no stage, of course, does he mention that early childhood education could actually um, support any of these results or make yeah. any improvements. Why would you think it would have any impact, Leanne? Yeah. <laughs> and the, Jeez, and the only not time real education. <laughs> the only time that anything about early childhood is mentioned is when um, he's high-fiving about getting the reforms through. So that, you know, I think when we keep seeing the federal education minister still forgetting to talk about early childhood education, then we have a bit of a problem. And I did a... I did a count of articles that were positive about the impact of early childhood education this week because you might remember last week I said that they just keep coming up with regularity like we've forgotten that early childhood education is good. So I decided from now on I'm going to do a count of the articles that come through in my feed from all over the world that have, you know, a council in Texas might have said, we think early childhood education is great, so we're going to give it more money or whatever. And this week there were 12 across the world from wow. my newsfeed. Wow. And yet in Australia, our education <laughs> minister can't even mention it in the context of educational outcomes. Wow. Funny, that. That's a problem. It's, it is a problem. Yeah. It is. It's, mm. Yeah. Well, we look forward and to... And they wonder why we've got poor educational outcomes. Yes. yes. And, I mean, I think we all kind of agree that NAPLAN is probably not the the ideal way to to test that. And PISA's probably well, especially marginally not better. forcing people to do it again because they've failed. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a content, you know. Anyway, we, we know that. But essentially, if... If our pol politicians were serious about early childhood education, they might mention it in the context of, <laughs> of um, educational outcomes. God. How how yeah. desperate are we that we would settle for just a mention? Is would would at least yes. be such an improvement yes. in, in the current status? <laughs> a mention in an interview, we'll take it. Yes. <laughs> um, thanks, Leah. Now I've got to get back to you for the next one as well, which is um, actually really interesting. Just one. before I just, you do, oh, just before you do, have you done some live research? Say, yeah, I've done live research, and the early education show is full of <laughs> sometimes. Um, <laughs> In fact, it's the one panel in the Hilda study. That's Does the L in Hilda stand for longitudinal, but possibly? No, it's labour dynamics. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's the one panel that's been doing it since 2001. It's been funded for 18 waves, but they topped up the panel with an additional 2,153 households and another 5,000 individuals. So I presume that was to get some more people with younger children into the ballpark. Oh, good. Thank you. That yeah. solved that problem for yeah, me. Live and research. that research comes to you via Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, there you go. Who said if it's Wikipedia good enough for our government robust. to Google Wikipedia, exactly. it's good enough for us. I'm with that. Um, uh, so, Leanne, you've, you've also bringing us, um, I think, an article from New Zealand about 
uh, design in the early childhood sector? Oh, look, I just wanted to bring you this because it's got beautiful photos of early childhood environments, but <laughs> the, it's not just that. It's actually a, a, a lovely story about um, the establishment of some services that have been so well thought out in terms of culture, in terms of environment, in terms of beauty. And I feel that they have really honoured children in the development of these services and um, I just I just think it's a lovely article you know you can be you could be cynical about it in terms of the you know they're trying to capture the market but anything that comes out of New Zealand is so raw and honest <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just, I just love it. a bit of bias coming out there, <laughs> but there is just this beautiful photo of a um, of a kitchen in the middle of the whole centre without thousands of bars and things around. It's, you know, <laughs> it's just like there's a lot of risk associated here. I really like that. And it, it's it's a lovely, lovely environment. And uh, I think in terms of, of culture and in terms of uh, their respect for children, I think this is this is a really well-developed um, building and and sort of set of principles around which they have developed it and I think it looks like a beautiful place to work as well which then would be inspiring wouldn't that in terms of your early childhood practice absolutely it would yeah wonderful it would, and it does yeah I am I'm getting more and increasingly worried about the number of services that have kind of like um uh cafe areas for parents to greet to to group at and i notice in this one that there is some chairs there that are looking a little bit too high for children in the, well, the, the kitchen I, I area didn't see that i i saw that and i wondered about that myself when i looked at it and then i then i thought well it's very difficult to get chairs that are high enough for children to be at a bench without them being adult chairs so I'm oh, assuming yeah, yeah. that where I'm assuming that we're looking at children as capable and competent here and that they they are sitting up there and enjoying that space that very sort of home-like space wow right. I'm very fascinated in design at the moment because the childcare service I've been supporting in a very regional area just got a million dollars last night or the oh, night wow. before to build a new service. Oh, oh wow. Yeah, and um, it's um, it's going to be really mm. interesting because they're in an area where um, it's very hard to get building materials and stuff. Everything's got to be you know, um, shipped in and literally, um, you know, unpacked by hand off a boat. So it'll be... <laughs> Interesting is, to see how much it costs. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like it's at the far end of the Murray Darling or something. <laughs> Worse. Oh. I, uh, um, I, I, I can't quite say yet, but yeah, it is. It is. It does have a lot of challenges, and I think it'll be interesting to see what they can do with the money they've got in that, terms of yeah. building something gorgeous. Ooh, that, um, that opportunity to start from start from scratch is always so 
exciting. A lot of services sort of have to operate out of old buildings or sort of redeveloped stuff that if you can start from scratch with um, and have a good, someone with a good amount of early childhood knowledge, you can do some pretty amazing stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Very exciting. And then just one last one from me, and we'll just touch on this briefly because I think we will tackle this as an entire topic uh, coming up because it is a it is a pretty interesting and big shift in the sector. Um, we just want to make sure we sort of stay on top of it is that the ongoing, uh, I guess, battle, you can call it, in Tasmania about the school starting age. So there's still um, a big push from the Tasmanian uh, state government to lower the school starting age to three point uh, three and a half years and that's had a pretty significant backlash uh sort of in the community but particularly in the early childhood sector at the impact this will have on early childhood education and care services um so there's a there's just a link to sort of the latest update in that which is um that a report from the government is due in september and what the effects of this will be and that uh, early childhood services i think are really ramping up their advocacy and suggesting this will lead to pretty significant uh, fee increases, which um, whether whether there is much, so that, you know the, the headline sort of has the dramatic title, you know fees could triple. Um, I don't know enough about the Tasmanian sector and the and the system to, uh, to to I guess confirm that. But what I would say is that you know it's well known in the sector is that off, off, you know the offering um, for the, in the preschool age rate because the ratio is so much higher is the most cost effective. So if if there is a significant drop in attendance in those in, the, in that age range, and then you, you have to concentrate on your provision in the under five, uh, sorry, in the under three space where the ratios are lower, uh, that is more expensive. So on the face of it, that seems like a relatively uh, justified concern. So it'll be interesting to see if the Tasmanian government will uh, will, will push forward with this. It's a, it would be a significant uh, change for, um, for, the, for, that, for that state. Oh, it would be enormous. It would... Yeah, I mean, it'd be incredible for any state, wouldn't it? But it's, um, but it, it would really impact on, on the, on that sort of childcare economy as well in yeah, Tassie. Absolutely, but like I said, we we, we are we have been have been planning for a while. We just haven't been able to get around to it. But we will we will devote an episode, one of our topics, uh, to that that specific topic in probably within the next couple of weeks. I would say. Yeah, when you said that the report was due out in September, I thought, oh, that's that's months away. <laughs> <laughs> no. it's actually welcome to august everyone welcome to august well that's a good probably a good look a good segue to, to introduce the, the topic we'll be discussing uh today so as this episode released it's august the 4th and it is uh, aboriginal children's day which is a big initiative by uh, snake uh, the secretariat for a national islander and indigenous uh, children's council so uh, we this you know really important day I think for not just you know Indigenous people and Indigenous children but for the early childhood sector given what we know about uh, the effect and the positive impact we can have in this space uh, in the in the in the birth to five uh, sort of area that I think acknowledging and using this as a catalyst and a springboard for action is is really important so we wanted to make sure that this was our point of discussion. For today, so we're really excited to bring an interview I conducted earlier this week with um, the wonderful Sharon Williams, who's the the the, um, the the president of the board of Snake, but is also the CEO of um, a fantastic uh, Aboriginal um, family support agency in South Australia. I don't want to say too much. She'll introduce herself and talk about the fantastic work she does in South Australia. But uh, the I I was you know just. Uh, blown away by um you know sharon and snake's commitment to 
um, honouring and respecting Indigenous children and and reversing some of the appalling stats we 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 face you know every day in Australia in terms of how um, how much how much more likely Indigenous children are to be in out of home care or in um, or in youth attention and and things like that. So we have a long way to go. But Aboriginal Children's Day is is fantastic, and I hope services. Uh, across the country are celebrating and, and acknowledging and um, and using this to to contribute to, to more positive discussions in this space so we will be uh, we'll be having a just a little quick musical break and then we'll be back with my interview with Sharon Williams so stay with us Hi, so I'm joined today, uh, we're very, very pleased to be joined by Sharon Williams, who's the chairperson of uh, SNAKE. Sharon, welcome to the Early Education Show. Thank you, Liam. So it's really th- nice to be part of the conversation. Wonderful. And we're really, um, really grateful you could spend the time time with us talking about um, a whole range of important topics, but obviously particularly the importance of Aboriginal Children's Day. But um, Sharon, I wondered if we, uh, we'd, we'd love to hear you know, a bit about your history and background as well as your role at um, at, at Snake, obviously, you do some and have done some amazing stuff that I've seen in um, in your career and, and history. So let us know about yourself. Okay. Um, as you know, Sharon Williams. I'm a Ghana Narunga woman from South Australia. Um, my mother's family um, grew up on Point Pierce, um, an Aboriginal community here in South Australia, a beautiful little um, community down by the waterfront at the sea. Um, absolutely lovely. Um, and I am the chairperson of SNAKE, have been for about four years, but have been a member of SNAKE for the last 19 years. I'm very pleased to be part of the journey um, for, for SNAKE. Uh, in my day job, I'm the CEO of Aboriginal Family Support Services, AFT, here in South Australia. We are a child protection early years um, Aboriginal service. Um, and pro- we provide um, out-of-home care, um, uh, accommodation services, early intervention programs, um, and a whole range of um, services that, that sit with the foster care programs for children who, for whatever reason, can't live at home with their parents. So I've been here at um, AFS for almost 20 years now. So wow. been around for quite a while. That's some that's some amazing work. I say, I think it is because I'm, I'm reading your um your bio on the Snake website. I think it is 20 years this year that you've been yes. at the AFS. Well, congratulations. <laughs> that's um, and it's I guess it's um, I guess kind of you'd probably be happier. I guess if the organisation didn't need to exist as much now as it probably needed to when it was first set up in response to um some of the things we learnt about um Aboriginal yes. children and families in the in the um, in the 90s, but because um, there has been a lot of media attention, I think, of late on how that's it's it's amazing that's still actually becoming even worse of a problem after the the apology and everything we know now. Yeah, and I look and I think in the interest of keeping children safe, um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children for us, um, it is important that there is the the capacity for children to remain within their families and communities wherever possible. Um, we would like, as a service, to not be needed, <laughs> not to be needed as much as we are. But while while there is a need for children to be safe, um, we will need to exist. Um, I would hope 
that as we, we move forward, the rates of children coming into foster care or needing to have additional supports outside of their, their birth families will decrease. Um, but I think we're a long way away from um, having a, a, a system that supports families before children are removed. And I think, Liam, that's a, a real shift that all governments around Australia need to take on board is that we remove children and then work with children to keep them safe rather than we acknowledge that families are having difficulties and then and and we work with families to keep children safe at home that's not unique to aboriginal families that um uh, a system change that we need to do so that that all children um are safe living at home with families Absolutely. And look, that's probably a good segue, Sharon, to then move on to your work with Snake and talk about what Snake do, because I know um, Snake do a lot of advocacy in this area particularly. So uh, we, we've talked about Snake quite a lot on the podcast, particularly when we were um, looking at the uh, the planned reforms to the budget-based funded services, and Snake's really yeah. fantastic advocacy. I was really uh, incredibly fortunate to hear Geraldine Atkinson speak at one of the Senate inquiries about um, the potential impact of what closing the budget-based and the, the Aboriginal child and family centres would mean. So, um, but, but, you know, for those who we, we maybe haven't probably explained Snake as well as, as well as we could, did you want to just you know, tell us who Snake are and what they do? Okay. Um, Snake has been around for a very long time, 30-plus years, um, and it was set up as a national peak to actually work with organisations within um, each of our states, ACA services they were called, Aboriginal Child Care Services, um, to have a united voice about how we worked with um, Aboriginal children and families um, who were, were not coping in each of the states and how we addressed the, the removal of, of Aboriginal, children, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children in our system. And SNAKE and the services within each state have grown over the years and we, a snake, have taken on a far bigger portfolio in terms of um, developing um, policy research to uh, influence how governments um, of all areas um, can work with our families. One of the big areas at the moment is the Aboriginal Child Placement Principle and getting that embedded into legislation um, in every state. And although it's there, it's not there in a way that um, talks about this is how we need to keep Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children safe. So that's a huge piece of work that's happening. The um, early years uh, work that's been happening that Geraldine has had carriage of has been a huge bit of work around um, how do we keep the um, uh, MAC services, the multicultural services functioning and effective and recognising the value of those services. A huge bit of business, Liam, that we're doing at the moment is the Family Matters campaign, and this is a national campaign that's being driven by SNAKE around um, the over-representation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children in our system across Australia and how we're calling on um, everybody, government, federal and state, um, um, statutory organisations, community, to Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal community, to acknowledge that children, our children are being removed at a far 
greater rate than non-Aboriginal children and how do we address this disparity in what what's happening, how do we put more energy into the early intervention and prevention component of, of child protection, how do we support families to, to be strong and or stronger. And this is not just for Aboriginal communities to do this piece of work. It's work that we need government to get behind. It's work that we need state authorities to be part of. And, and it does, although it's driven by SNAKE, it's every jurisdiction's responsibility where we work with Aboriginal families. That's where there needs to be intervention. That's where um, a greater focus needs to happen on keeping families as well as children safe. And then we've got the conference that's coming up um, in um, September, 12th to 14th of September. Um, and um, we're, we're incredibly excited about where the conference is going. It's going to be held in Canberra, <laughs> so we are hoping for a much, much warmer weather. Um, so my unbiased the, view is that's obviously a great place to hold the conference, Sharon, so I'm looking I, forward to it. <laughs> I, I think it is a fabulous place. It's, it's central, it's our capital, and it's a place for all of us to come together and have a voice about how do we do our business with Aboriginal families and children in, in a more cohesive manner. How do we look at what's positive in our communities, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal, and how do we focus that onto better services across Australia and how do we learn from things that haven't worked but, you know, moving forward and it's also about the networking and it's about inviting politicians to come and hear people talk about the successes. We often hear about what isn't working but there's a heck of a lot of success in service delivery across the board and so it's about come and talk about the successes because that gives us the energy and the inspiration to keep on going and um, working in an industry or an area where it sometimes seems quite bleak because children are still being removed um, and that rate across Australia is increasing, not decreasing. Yeah. So that's a, a, a quick um, touch on some of the incredible work that Snake is doing at the moment. Yes, and fantastic, incredible work, and um, and I think for, for you know for, for those of us who work in early childhood education, it's the the snakes work particularly on um, acknowledging how important those early years are for children, but also about oh. yeah supporting families during that time um, for for all families, you know, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, but um, which is why. You know, some of the work the, the Aboriginal Child and Family Centres do, I particularly think of, um, you know, Bubba William, which um, was yeah. incredibly at risk again last year, which would, despite the incredible work that happens there, there had to be a bit of advocacy around ensuring that centre could continue. That, absolutely. The work that's done in our early childhood centres is absolutely vital to giving children that strong step into um, learning and growing and, and stepping into big school. So it's an absolutely, absolute vital role. And it's a hub for families to actually, one, know our children's safe, but to actually talk to other parents about how things are going, you know, be involved in their children's um, early years learning and their education. They're, they're so important. And, and it is true that SNAKE has advocated incredibly over the last two years, three years, around how do we ensure that these centres stay opened and stay focused on the best interests of our families. 
Yeah, I just I, I I feel like I'm distracting us a bit, Helen, because I know we're here to talk about um, Aboriginal Children's Day, but I just I find it incomprehensible that that we're not looking at you know opening ten times as many Aboriginal child and family centres, and you guys have to use all your advocacy time and energy just to keep the ones you currently have operating have open. Absolutely, absolutely. It's, yes, yeah. and I do want to talk about Children's Day. <laughs> well, that's that- a. It's yeah. So as this episode comes out, so we're we're recording this interview on Wednesday, but the episode will be out on Friday. So it is as you're listening to this Aboriginal Children's Day. So this is a really big day for Snake. I know each year. So um, t- tell us all about it this year. Okay, Aboriginal Children's Day has been around for 29 years, and it's a celebration of our children. This year's um, theme is it, it, it's about um, value. Children's Day is valuing our rights, respecting our culture and bringing us home. And that's because we are, this year we're celebrating 20 years of the Bringing Them Home report where children were removed at an incredibly high rate. And so we're making sure we're not losing focus that our children are still being removed, but celebrating all of our children and and the diversity of our children. So it's a wonderful opportunity. It is on the 4th of August. There are hundreds of, of activities across Australia that are going to be run. Um, to celebrate um, Children's Day. Snake, is, as a, a national piece, we'll be having our um, uh, official launch for Snake on the 7th of August uh, in uh, Melbourne. And the commissioner, Andrew Jackamoff, will do the official launch for us. So, you know, if you're in Melbourne, please pop around and... and uh, be part of the, the the national launch, but it is about across Australia, everybody taking the opportunity to celebrate our children, celebrate their diversity, and Liam, Children's Day came about when we had so many children during the um, the removal, high rates of removal, who were brought into care. Many of those children didn't have a birth date. Well, that date wasn't recorded and so wow. the 4th of August was designated as the day that all of these Aboriginal children would celebrate their birthday and so wow. taking that forward it's the day that we now celebrate the individuality of our children the strength of our culture and the joy of the children in our lives so that's the process around Children's Day Every year we celebrate it. We take the time to include children in all that we do. Um, We, in South Australia, across our state, we have many, many activities um, that will happen on Friday around and and including uh, children and their families, community, broader community, not just our Aboriginal children, but the broader community around this celebration of of diversity and strength. we have survived, you know, 60,000 years and the diversity and strength of our culture still remains so important today. So one of our ambassadors this year is um, Shelley Ware, who's a South Australian. She's our national ambassador. And um, uh, Shelley is one of the co-presenters um, on... Um, NITV on the Maroc football show, footy show. 
That's right. And she is our ambassador and we'll be talking up um, Children's Day across Australia. Every opportunity she gets, I hope. <laughs> so, that's, yeah. That's so fantastic. I mean, that's... Um, I have to. I, 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 I had no idea that was the genesis of the day. It's, um, it's very um, sobering that that's the, that that had to happen at all. But you know, it's fantastic. I think that now it is that celebration of, um, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children, and and like you said, not just you know dwelling on all the things we as a nation still need to do so much better for for Aboriginal children, but celebrating their individuality and their connection to culture, and that um, that 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 there is survival through that next generation. It is really. Um, it's a really positive. It, it, I always find it such a positive and um, refreshing day. So, um, for, for for early childhood services and for educators, and I guess particularly Sharon, non-indigenous services and educators, what you know, why and how should should they get involved in in this day? Um, why? Because I think that um, Aboriginal people, we are, you know, the indigenous people of this country. And it's important that we celebrate as the first Australian. Um, we have been here for 60,000 years. And I guess um, acknowledging that with celebrating Children's Day, you know, the, as I say, diversity of our, our children's culture. And we actually talk about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander as being a culture, when in fact it's many cultures, it's many um, diverse communities across Australia. And so in each state, in each community, the Aboriginal cultural influence is slightly different. So every community has an opportunity, Aboriginal, non-Aboriginal, to celebrate the uniqueness of that community. Um, so it is important to celebrate the families and community that, that we live in, the strength of the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander culture, and um, that as that small community makes up a, a very big Aboriginal uh, population across Australia and, and how diverse and strong that culture is. It is really important. In our early years, we want our children to be proud and strong and self-assured in their culture so that they take that into big school and adolescence and we know that our children get lost when they don't have that strong connection to culture. And so starting at early years teaching, that's when it's really important to continue to um, reinforce and value culture, Aboriginal culture, um, as something we should be really proud of. Um, our communities, broader communities, I know in South Australia, many of our um, non-Aboriginal organisations are celebrating Children's Day as well because um, it's important to be seen as a whole community and not a divided community where we shouldn't be divided anymore. We should be um, a united Australia where we don't have racism, we don't have um, you know, segregation about Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal. It's about valuing the, the greater strength of community and Aboriginal people are a strength in our community. Absolutely. And yeah. I think one of the challenges for those of us working in early childhood who are non-Indigenous is that we know that, you know, some of those prejudices and attitudes you're talking about are, are set in those first five years. So before even 
children get to school. So the importance of, as you said, you know, pushing back on that and acknowledging and celebrating Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander individual children, but also culture and um, the diversity of you know, of Aboriginal um, experience and and, and and nations is is. I, yeah. I, I think it's not just important. I think it's a requirement. I think if we work in this space, we have to accept that responsibility. I don't think we get a choice. No, I. I think you get a choice, but you're, you actually narrow, you know, non-Aboriginal Australia misses out on so much richness yeah. of a culture that's here. Um, and we are a multicultural country and that it should be our strength that we have so many cultures and we live so strong. We have a wonderful life here in Australia and, and we should and must value the whole of the diversity and Aboriginal people are a strong part of the fibre and the fabric of Australia. Absolutely. Um, and in terms of, because um, I know Snake has some uh, some packs and some guides for how services can actually celebrate Aboriginal Children's Day, um, did you want to talk a little bit about just, you know, in terms of how yep. you would suggest that people just get on board? Absolutely. Snake, um, every year for Children's Day, put together um, a Children's Day bag and it has a number of activities, but it also has... Um, some great resources in in the bag about how do you celebrate. Um, Liam, we can go on online and um, on Snake's website, there are all of the activities across Australia that you can tap into. There's a whole list of what's happening in each state. In the bags, there are colouring pencils and snap bands and stickers and activity books and water bottles, and these are for children, but they're part of um, acknowledging, uh, I guess, and I go back to diversity, about knowledge, acknowledging what it is. Online, there's how do you tap into activities in your own state about what's going on, um, ha- who's, who's providing what um, and where. And in our bags, we're also putting this wonderful little book called Where's Aaron? And it's the Little J and Big Cars book that was produced. It's an Aboriginal um, resource or story book that's absolutely fabulous. And if um, people would like copies of that, on our website, there's also a link to be able to get some of those wonderful books. It's illustrated by Tony Thorne. Great, great book. Wonderful. So, and we'll, we'll have a link to Snake's website on our webpage as well and in the, the, the notes of this this podcast but um yeah absolutely and and it didn't and i know you talked already about um family matters and some of the other big projects snake are working on but um so as well as obviously supporting aboriginal children's day sharon like how in general can people support snake as an organization in all the work they do what would you what would you like all our listeners to go and do as soon as they hear this i would like them to go online see what snake is doing what's happening in your state and you know, in terms of family matters, please sign up. Please um, pledge to the campaign. It's a huge campaign that is affecting all of us in one way or another, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal. Um, if you please, you know, ring the office, say hello, ask how you can contribute in your own areas. In every state of, of Australia, there are. Aboriginal ACCA type services. Um, so being able to um, 
work with those services is absolutely fabulous. Um, in New South Wales, closest to Canberra, we have the ABSEC group, which is the Aboriginal Secretariat, in, based in Sydney, but Tim Ireland, who's their CEO, would love to talk to anybody in New South Wales, Canberra, about what's going on. In Queensland, we have Natalie um, Lewis, who's the CEO of Quatset, which is the Queensland Secretariat. Dawn Wellam in Western Australia, who is the CEO of Yorganop. Um, absolutely fabulous resource to go and have a, a chat to Dawn. And their chairperson is Kathleen, Kathleen Pinkerton, who would love to talk about what's happening in Western Australia. And please, you know, anybody in South Australia, give us a call, Sharon Williams um, at Aboriginal Family Support Services, and I will um, be happy to talk about the business that Snake is doing, um, not only nationally, but in our state. Um, in South Australia, we have, um, back in August of last year, there was completed a Royal Commission into child protection in South Australia. Um, the statutory body is doing a whole lot of work around the reform of the, the, their service, child protection, and how that will impact on Aboriginal children as part of our business. So we would be very, very happy to talk about how that's rolling out in South Australia and how SNAKE has been part of the process to influence how the reform is happening and how um, Aboriginal issues um, are being considered and picked up in the rollout of the recommendations. Wonderful. So there's a, there's a lot of different actions you can take there. So no matter where you're based in Australia, you can, you can find someone to talk to and, and, and get on board with SNAKE, Absolutely. which yes. I absolutely recommend. Absolutely. Uh, Sharon? But please, oh, oh, I was going to say, Liam, please sign up for the um, Family Matters campaign. Um, it's an incredible initiative. Started off with the nucleus of um, really interested um, uh, non-government uh, non organisations, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal, recognising that the high rate... Liam, where, you know... 4%, less than 4% of the Australian population. And yet across Australia, Aboriginal children um, represent, in, in South Australia, 35% of the children in child protection. And in other states, it's much, much higher. And as a nation, we should be ashamed of the fact that our first peoples are so overrepresented in child protection and we have a responsibility and an obligation to build capacity within families and communities so that we strengthen our families and not just remove children. So, yeah, um, absolutely. And, and I think, as I, as I sort of said before, I think for those of us who have the privilege um, of working in the birth to five space, whether specifically in Indigenous or non-Indigenous communities or services or at, at all, yeah. I think that in, at, at that creates a responsibility on us to, um, to, to, to work to address that because we work in the space where those things can be changed and can be improved. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, Sharon, thank you so very much for your time today. We really appreciate it. I know it's a very busy week for Snake and for you uh, this week. Uh, we, re we really appreciate it. Liam, thank you very, very much. Okay, and have I have appreciated the, the time to raise um, Snake's profile um, on podcast and would 
love to come back and talk to you after the Children's Day to let you know how some of our activities have gone. We will definitely take you up on that offer, Sharon. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Sharon for taking the time in a very busy week in the lead up to Aboriginal Children's Day uh, for her and Snake to to talk to the Early Education Show. We really appreciate it, and we hope uh, that sure. yeah that everyone sort of takes on that message to uh, to to contribute and become engaged and and support Snake and, and Indigenous children and their their communities to um, to change that pretty appalling story that we still have in Australia in 2017 for Indigenous children. Um, we will move on to our recommendations for the week, though. Leanne, what are you bringing us? Oh, I've I've gone uh, kind of off script. It's not a conversation article. It's not <laughs> a um, it's it's none of those things. It's actually a TED talk. I've gone oh. I've gone crazy on the, the TED talk this week, and I saw quite a lot of stuff about um, you know bush schools and all those sorts of things in the past few weeks, and I've. I've sort of become a little bit interested because I might visit one when I go on a trip soon. And I did notice this. Are you leaving us? Did you get uh, a permission? No. I might join you, though, from where I am. Like, if it's possible, I think that might be fun. But um, because Skype's international. Did you know that, Lisa? (laughs) I I carried my microphone internationally one day so that I could join you. You did, didn't you? Yes. So. Um, so anyway, Very heavy two kilo microphone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, that's, that might be the only problem. But um, this one is actually about, I, I noticed that in Australia, children are wearing high-vis vests to go out into the bush. And I, don't even get yeah, me started on that. <laughs> don't even get me started on that. I'm not going to go there. But um, this one, what was interesting about this was a, a school sort of principal type um uh, administrator from Canada went to Germany with with her partner, her husband on a sabbatical, and she enrolled her child in a, a what, what's called a nature school, you know, a forest school in Germany, which abides by all of the wonderful forest school rules, which is being out there in the bush, having a great old time. And it was really interesting to hear her talking about that. But what she did then was she took the idea back to Canada to British Columbia and as a as a school administrator she implemented this program and I think part of what um, had me really engaged in this is that she actually successfully took an idea you know a particular kind of policy and she implemented it and she put it in place and they've been really successful in in this and have almost started this wonderful network within British Columbia of what they're calling nature schools and I thought it was a wonderful example of you know policy transfer and uh, they have been measuring also the outcomes of these nature schools and have found all of those increases in children's resilience cooperation um, and their uh, cognitive skills so I thought it was a wonderful example and she's just very engaging to listen to so that was my my recommendation for this week. Wonderful. We're branching into the, the video digital realm. Good job, Leanne. Um, Lisa, what are you bringing us this week? Look, I'm bringing something that isn't even education and care related. I'm bringing you an article from the Sydney Morning Herald that gives um, the latest statistics about domestic violence. 
and they're pretty shocking and horrible. Um, one of which says that best estimates put it at roughly eight to twenty eight percent of boys and twenty percent of girls are sexually abused. So of the five point seven million children in Australia, um, uh, if you look at the number of children that will have been sexually abused, you could fill the Melbourne cricket ground eight times over with children living in Australia right now who have been or will be sexually abused. And I think that those kind of numbers are something that we need to be aware about in our centres. And we also need to be aware about um, the impact of domestic violence and rape and sexual assault on our primarily um, uh, female workforce as well. So I'm not going to go through the other stats because they're all as depressing as those, but I do urge people to read that article and think about that in terms of their service, that there may be children or workers at your service who have been impacted by domestic violence. And that would be a good... Um, opportunity to also go back to Liam's uh, interviews and discussion with educators on the trauma-informed practice as well. True. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Yes. Yeah. All right. Thanks for bringing this, Elisa. Um, my recommendation is a pretty obvious one. I actually had the sneaking suspicion I may have actually recommended this one before, but uh, if that's the case, I, I stand by because I think they are um, fantastic for a couple of reasons. It is the um, the early years learning framework fact sheets that are um, developed and provided by snakes. So they have an Indigenous uh, cultural focus and actually... Um, can be used in Indigenous-specific services, but could also fantastic for uh, non-Indigenous services that are engaging with um, with Indigenous perspectives. Um, so just in terms of uh, teaching and education practice, it's fantastic. But the other fantastic reason is obviously they're provided uh, and sold by Snake, so you're directly helping and supporting the wonderful advocacy work that Snake do uh, by by getting involved with those. So uh, we absolutely recommend that every service has a copy of these in terms of the work they do. Um, that's it. Sounds good. Yeah, we've reached the end of another episode. Thanks uh, for listening again. We'll... Uh, this is where I desperately search my mind for the various things I say at the end of each week. I've done this 39 times and still have to vaguely panic at the end of each time. But let's see how we go. Uh, you can find the show, our home on the website is earlyeducationshow.com. From there, you can contact us. There's a little contact uh, link there or send us a direct email, uh, earlyedushow at gmail.com. I do check it from time to time and then feel embarrassed that I haven't replied to people. Uh, you can uh, support the show in a couple of important ways. If you click support the show, uh, on the tab on the website that'll take you to our Patreon page which is a wonderful little website where uh, people who like uh, free free shows like this can can give us some some small financial support which means we can do fun and exciting things down the track so that's particularly uh, grateful if, if, if you're in a position to do that we really thank you uh, another fantastic way is to give us a rating and review on the Apple Podcast Store this uh, bumps us up in the rankings through some 
magic uh, mathematical sort of genius that's done at Apple and means more early childhood uh, professionals and friends can find the podcast. Uh, you can also find the show on social media on Facebook and Twitter. The handle on both of those pages is at Early Edu Show. Uh, don't forget, we also would love for you to follow us or chat to us individually on Twitter. You can find me at Liam McNicholas. And me at Lisa J. Bryant. And me at Leanne M. Gibbs 3. And until next week, we will be back with you. We hope you have a fantastic week. We hope you have uh, had a wonderful day celebrating Aboriginal Children's Day today and have a great week planned ahead. But until we're back with you next week, it's bye from me. And from me. And from me. Bye.